I'm going to get into the message very, very quickly. See, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The conventional, traditional interpretation of the scripture has put the whole church to sleep. Because the traditional, conventional interpretation puts the onus on somebody else. So the traditional way we see that scripture is, okay, if we pray, we humble ourselves, and we are praying for the wickedness in America, the wickedness in Australia, the wickedness in England. God, we hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and we'll heal the land. But can I submit to you another interpretation? Let's read it again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. This is not talking about the world. God is challenging you and I to turn away from our wicked ways. Not the Egyptians, not the English, not the Sudanese, not the Libyans, the church. There is wickedness in the church. And God is saying, I cannot save the world for the wickedness in my house. I can't bring healing to the world if I don't heal my house. Let's read it again. If my people, whose people? My people, God's people, who are called by what? My name, God's name, will humble themselves. What does that mean? You acknowledge and accept that you are wicked. See, that's not even a message this morning. Sammy, you all blame Sammy for this. If they humble themselves and pray and seek my faith, God help me out of my wickedness. My heart is not right. My heart is not for you. I don't love the things you love, God. I don't hate the things you hate, God. I don't love my neighbors as I ought to, as you commanded. God, my heart is not right. When we turn from our wickedness, God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal the land. Why is that important? This is important because of what Jesus said. He said, you are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. So if we are salt, are already trampled upon, which sweetness or seasoning can we, can we bring to our world? Do you get it now? I'm sharing this because we need to start praying with understanding. We should not just pray because we've heard prayer being prayed in a particular way for years and years and years and keep on doing the same thing and get no result. When the church gets right, the world would notice. Amen. When we stop being wicked, our saltiness and our light will correct the anomalies all around us. Amen. Easy. Amen? Amen. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my, their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and hear. Does that make sense? Yes. Did I make that up? Yes. 
Do you see that in scripture? Oh, I made it up, Bishop. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so, Father, we just thank you. We just don't want to read the scripture and just move on. We want to take a pause. It's a last moment. We want to acknowledge that you've spoken to us. We want to acknowledge the wickedness that lurks and dwells even in our own hearts. We bring those things to the table. And we're asking you, Father God, by the power of your spirit which you've given us, that everything in us that is not like you, that is not pleasing to you, that the Holy Spirit is at work now in us, dealing with those things and helping us to overcome them because we have the choice. We have a choice. And we choose to follow you. We choose to obey you. We choose not to surrender, to become a slave of sin, thereby yielding ourselves to it. We thank you because of your spirit that's in us. We reckon ourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God. And because we are alive unto you, we thank for the quickening of your spirit, that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. is alive in us now. And therefore, we yield our members to please you, to serve you, so that our world may take notice and honor and glorify you. Thank you, Father. We bless and we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so now let me just move on to this morning's message. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 from the New Living Translation. Second Peter chapter 1. I was teaching a couple of weeks ago on the spirit of grace. And I'm going to pick it up this morning. The spirit of grace. We acknowledge that grace came to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been here for two or three years now, you know that we believe that Jesus is grace. He is grace personified. But what we are now saying, what we are recognizing is that in order for you and I to receive the manifestation of the benefits that grace made available, we need to be intimately acquainted with the person of the Holy Spirit whom the Bible describes in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, as the spirit of grace. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, again, as the spirit of grace. So among all the names that God can call the Holy Spirit, he zeroed in and called him the spirit of grace. Why? Because it is the Holy Spirit who has been solely charged to dispense to you and I, to administer to us, that's a better word, I like that word better, administration, to administer to us the benefits of grace. Oh my God, can you just raise up your hands right now for a minute? Just acknowledge him, that blessed Holy Spirit. He's the administrator of everything you want. He is the one who is carrying right now the answer to every question in your heart. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you afresh and anew. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are an helper. Helper. You have come to help us, to aid us, to assist us. We receive your 
assistance. We receive your help. We thank you for that guide and direction in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the spirit of grace is the one that administers to us all the benefits of God's grace towards us. I ended the message two weeks ago from Exodus chapter 28 describing the garments of the priest. I'm not going to go back to address all of that, but just suffice it to say we concluded that that priest wore a garment, a robe, and on the hem of that robe were a foot and a bell. A foot and a bell all around the hem of that garment. Amen? Amen. Now, moving on from there this morning, I am going to be speaking over the next several weeks on aspects of the Holy Spirit that, quite frankly, I've never had touch, taught publicly. I think I taught this maybe back in 96, 97, a long, long, long time ago. But I think it is important for us to understand these aspects of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of grace is the agent of God for fruitfulness and healthy relationships. The Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of grace, is God's agent for fruitfulness and healthy relationships. Everything you and I do is based on relationships. We were created for relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship in our homes, relationships in our businesses. And unless we address this area, this area that I'm going to dive into in a few minutes and over the next few weeks, unless we address this area properly and have a good understanding, we would never truly, fully become fruitful. I shared with you two weeks ago about our trip among the Amish community. I have was so intrigued by the way they lived and by the way they did things and uh, by their doctrine. And at the end of that visit, I asked one of them, are you guys born again? And the answer he gave me is still very profound up to this moment. He didn't take me to a scripture. He did not pray. He simply, said, he simply said to me, ask my neighbor. Ask my neighbor. Whether that's your cab driver, your, uh, the guy that uh, cuts your hair, the guy that moons your lawn, uh, the guy that shops with you, whatever. Your next door neighbor, the person that works with you, he said, ask my neighbor. In other words, there's a correlation between our faith and the things we do. There is a correlation between the faith I profess and the life I live. It's no longer enough to just say, I'm a believer. Time out for that. There are many people who profess to be believers and Christians and we cannot see one iota of fruit in their life. 
We will not change our world by being professors. We will only change our world by demonstration of the life of God in and through us. That's it. That's why that scripture I started with in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It's so important. The challenge is not on the world. The challenge is on us. If my people, those who claim to know God, those who claim to have a, a relationship with God, if my people shall, who are called my shall humble themselves and pray. Humble yourselves. So as I'm speaking this morning, please, please, I want you to begin to hear me and begin to say, okay, all right, okay, this fits, this does not fit. And begin to do an evaluation. Don't just come to church and spend two hours and go home and remain the same as the way you came. Don't waste your time doing that and waste your life, please, in Jesus' name. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. May God give you more and more grace. How is fruitful and healthy relationships going to happen? How? By more and more grace. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for, a, for living a godly life. Everything. Say everything. everything. You and I lack nothing. Now, you see, I had two or three amens. See, that, that's the problem. We don't believe it. We think there's still something else we need. But the word of God, by which you are born again, is saying... That you and I have everything we need for living a godly life. It goes on to say, we have received all of this by coming to know him. That's how it happened. In case you didn't know this. Peter is telling you how you got everything you need. By coming to know him. Now the issue is, maybe some of us don't know him. Let's go on. By coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you and me to share his divine nature. Say divine nature. Say divine nature. divine nature. Amen. To share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So God's promises to you and I, by the reason of his divine power, he has caused you and I, position us to manifest his divine nature. His divine nature. Now, you take this and go back to Genesis where he said that we were created in his image and likeness. And I addressed this two weeks ago. Image addresses his nature. His character. So you and I were created in his image. The potential to be like God. And his, his likeness, his ability. So not only do you have his nature, 
character. You also have his ability, his giftedness to make things happen supernaturally. We have it. We have been given this. Now, let's go a little further. In James chapter 2, in verse 17. James chapter 2, verse 17. The spirit of grace, God's agent for a fruitful and healthy relationships. James chapter 2, verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. Give it to me in the NLT, please. New Living Translation. Same chapter and verse. Thank you. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. This is where the church fails. We shout faith, we sing faith, we pray faith, but the Bible is telling us it's not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is what? Dead and what? Useless. My, 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 my. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Jesus picked that up in Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 7. While he's, while he's putting that on the overhead for us, let me go back to James for a minute. What James is trying to say to us. James is simply saying to us that we behave what we believe. We behave what we believe. And that correct belief we behave correctly. <laughs> Let us think for a minute. We behave what we believe. There is no such thing as believing one thing and doing something else. Because that word believe is an action word. So whatever I'm doing is as a result of what I believe. And so James is trying to encourage us that Correct believing leads to behaving correctly. So what I'm saying to us is, right now where you are, if you are noticing some behavior that's coming from you, don't forget about your husband, your wife, your children. Don't, just think about you. Zero in on yourself. This morning, don't be your brother's keeper. Be your own keeper. Because I know how that goes. I mean, you hear a message, oh, yeah, that, that message is good for Greg. It's good for this person, that person. No, it's good for you. So I'm saying to you, if you're noticing certain tendencies in your own life, the way to overcome that is to check your, what you believe in that area. And if you say, well, I believe correctly, if what you are saying is true, then you behave correctly. But if you are not behaving correctly and you think you believe, really what you do is you have a mental assent. Not a hard belief. Do you follow what I'm saying? Okay. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, 
Verse 16 says, you will know them by what? Their fruits. Not their confession. That's why the Amish man told me, ask my neighbor. I can confess one thing to you, but my neighbor see my actions. They see my fruit. They know who I am. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Verse 17. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. The spirit of grace has come to help you and I to be like him. He has empowered us, not that he will, he has already empowered us to live a godly life and bear fruit that testify to who we are. Let me read the scripture. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans 5, 17. Let me read this scripture to you. Okay. Can you give that to me in the NLT, please? Thank you. Wow, these guys are on it this morning. My goodness. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful what? Grace. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. The NKJV says, you will reign. Reigning. In the name of Jesus, you will reign. You and I are called to reign. We are called to reign. We are called to triumph. And the means of our calling, the means of our triumph is through the spirit of God, the grace that God gives us. So clearly, we see God's plan here. That through Jesus Christ, you and I have been empowered to reign. We've been empowered to triumph. Give me Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I'm almost done with what I'm going to give you this morning because I don't want to overload you. Titus 2 uh, from verse 11. Thank you. Ah. For the grace of God has been revealed bringing salvation to all people. Verse 12. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Next verse. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Now, give me that scripture again in the NIV. From verse 11 in the NIV. Thank you. For the grace of God that brings salvation to all, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does grace teach us? It teaches us to say what? No. no. To ungodliness and worldly passions. 
and to live, oh, this is what I'm looking for, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Folks, don't tell me what cannot happen. Tell me what God has already done. This is fair and complete. It is already finished. Many times you say, oh, well, my wife got me mad. Or my husband got me mad. My boss got me mad. We are always passing the buck. Never owning responsibility for our own shortcomings. We find somebody to blame. Is this person? Is that person? Ah, if you know where I'm working. My boss is a terrible man. My boss is a terrible woman. We blame everybody. But what did the scripture says? He teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to do what? Live self-controlled lives. There is a reason for which God, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23, enlisting the fruit of the Spirit, he started with love and ended with self-control. Are you here, Daniel? Oh, thank you. There's a reason for we begin with love and end up with self-control and everything is in between. Because love starts it, but self-control seals it. The issue of self-control is a huge issue. And for me and you, averagely, when we hear self-control, we are thinking of the self-control or the ability to say, to say no to certain things. So I have self-control, I will not drink beer. I have self-control, I will not uh, drink, uh, I will not smoke weed. I have self-control, I will not. So we think self-control is only limited to the negative things we are trying to avoid. That's not what God is saying. The Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Grace, has empowered you, Greg and me, with the ability to have total and full control of our choices, good or bad. Let me let me let me slow down. Self-control is not the, simply the ability to say no. It's better expressed as my being the only one who determines my responses in life. The only one who determines my responses. Listen, I cannot control what Bishop does to me. It can spit on me. He can kick me, he can abuse me, he can do whatever he wants to do. I can't control that. But God is saying, I'm giving you self-control. So that when he throws those things at you, you, bank, is the only one who can determine how you respond. So immediately, time out for me to say, my wife got me so mad, I had to go and do this. No. No, my wife can do whatever she wants to do. But her action should not necessarily be the reason for me to respond in a certain way. I have control over that. I can choose 
to react to her tit for tat. That's my choice. But I can also choose based on the spirit of grace and the empowerment I've received to say, you know what? I know what you're doing, but you don't control my life. God controls my life. Therefore, my response comes from God, not from you. It's a slippery slope. Once your wife can control what you do, your husband controls what you do, then everybody controls you. But the one who paid the price for your life. There's only one, only one audience to which you dance. You dance to the audience of one, the mighty Holy Ghost, who is the spirit of grace, who has come to empower you, to give you the ability to make the choices that please God and not just you. That's the only way you and I can be fruitful and maintain healthy relationships. Not by just responding to tit and tat. As you did this, I'll do this. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. That, that, that. It goes on and on and on. There's no end to it. By the time it's all over, you don't even know who you are. You're tall one morning, you're short the next morning. No. The Holy Spirit, that spirit of grace, has empowered you and I. And that part of that empowerment is he gave us self-control. Now, I'm going to be speaking on all the aspects of the gift of the fruit of the Spirit. But it's important for me to almost lead out with this because it's the seal for everything. If you don't have self-control, you will not be able to manifest the nature of God. Look how long-suffering God was concerning you. How long did it take God to get your attention? And in spite of how bad you are, in spite of how much you blasphemed him, he never responded to you in a like fashion. Why? He has self-control. He has self-control. He did not allow your behavior or misbehavior to dictate what he did to you. Aren't you glad about that? Oh, my God. I am glad. I don't know about you guys. I am awfully glad that God did not respond to me the way I responded to him. Because he has self-control. Huge. Now, let, let, me, just, let me just use this to, to close out this message. There are two keys that makes self-control what it is. And perhaps if you get that today, and if you come back on Wednesday, we can break down some things. That's what we do on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights is when we unpack what we've done on Sunday morning and give you keys, handles, and practical application to help you going on. This once a week, uh, what should I call it? Once, once a week, uh, <laughs> thank you. This once a week diet. For some of you, you need, you need, you need seven, seven, seven times a week. Where you are is so far from where God wants to take you, you, you need immersion. Full time, no, listen, I'm talking to you as a father and as a pastor. You know, some of us need immersion. Man, are you kidding me? When I began, became born again, ask my wife. 
I worked on a night shift, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. I was in church at 9 a.m. I, I, I was not off on Sundays. Back in those days, those of us that had low seniority were off during the week, Tuesday and Wednesday. <laughs> to have weekends off? Are you kidding me? But that didn't stop anything. There's a hunger to want to be like God. So I'll run home, take a shower, be in church. Oh, by the way, we lived how many miles away from the church? About, about 45 minutes. I lived in College Park. The church was in Atlanta. Sunday morning, I had to go to work on Sunday night. And we had Sunday night service. Do I miss it? No, I don't. I was still hungry. There's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night Bible study, Friday night Bible study, and God helped me. My pastor was an evangelist. He was all over the villages of Georgia all week long. And I would never allow him to leave me behind as my wife. And we raised young children. Folks, you are not hungry. And because you are not hungry, God cannot feed you. The Bible says in Matthew, those that do hunger and thirst shall be filled. Not those that are casually just, casually, God, what are you saying today? God, okay, let me see. God, you, you are lucky. I came to church on Sunday. That's what I see with most of you. I'm sorry. That's what I see with most of you. Me and Revelation were talking this morning. We have about five teaching notebooks that we've completed. I can't teach them here. I've not taught them yet. Why? Because Jesus only taught as people are able to receive it. When you're hungry, you'll be fed. But trying to feed someone or something that is already full is a waste of time. Go try to put gasoline in your car that's already full. What happens? It spills. It spills. Okay, moving on. Self-control, two key things. Two key things. Number one, you need to recognize you have power. You have power. For some of us, what? I have power? <laughs> that sounds like, are you kidding me? Yeah, you have power. And we know this from scriptures. I will not read it, but I'll just tell you the story in Judges chapter 6. Gideon, God came to Gideon and said, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. Gideon's current or present circumstance did not support that. He was threshing wheat in a wine press out of fear. But God did not come to him and tell him, Gideon, you're so fearful. You're a coward. Why are you? No. God spoke to Gideon based on God's potential in Gideon, not on where he was. And the moment Gideon believed what God said about him, everything changed. Everything changed. Did you, did you understand that? Okay, maybe that was too deep. Let me give you a simpler one. John chapter 8. The woman that was caught in adultery. I know many of you are happy when you heard that. Immediately you can relate to that. You prefer adultery to the man that's a coward. God help all of you in Jesus' name. <laughs> so the woman was caught in adultery. They brought her to Jesus. Two things.
things Jesus said to her. No one condemns you. What does that speak of? It speaks of value. 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 The woman wants, they want, they want to do a yard sale. The things you will bring to the yard sale are the things that are no longer valuable to you. You are not going to bring your 2017 Lexus to the woman's garage or yard sale. Why? You have them at home. You're not going to bring your wonderful, nice-looking mink coat. Why? It's too valuable for you at that moment. But the things you no longer use, you, are no longer, you no longer value or esteem, those are the things you bring to a yard sale. Likewise, similarly, Jesus looks at this woman. He says, no one condemns you. You are not condemned. You are not a condemned building. You condemn buildings when you're no longer any good. Woman, you're still valuable. I did not condemn you. Why? You're still valuable. Say to yourself and say, I am valuable. I am valuable. Hallelujah. Say, I am valuable. I am valuable. Yeah. You do not esteem yourself based on where you are. You esteem yourself by the, the price God paid for you. Amen. He paid a deep, deep, costly price for you. And that makes you what? Valuable. So the first thing you need to know is you are valuable. And then, secondly, Jesus told that woman, go and sin no more. Think about what he just said. Go and sin no more. It implies that, woman, you have the power of choice. That given the same set of circumstances, the same situation when it comes up again. Go and sin no more implies you have a choice to make and I'm trusting you that you make the right choice. Correct. You will not do it again. Correct. Power of choice. You cannot tell me somebody made you rape somebody. Oh, somebody made me rob the bank. I didn't want to do it. I was so reluctant. I, 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 man, I have no desire. But you know, somebody made me do it. You have a choice. Say, I have a choice. I have a choice. Say, I have a, I have a choice. You have a choice and you have power. Let me, let me read one more scripture. I, I'm done. I'm just done for this session. Romans chapter 5. No, it's Romans chapter 6. I'm sorry. Romans 6 verse 12. So you have a choice and you're powerful. Romans 6, 12. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mother body. That phrase, do not let. Do not let implies choice. You have control. Do not let this happen. If you could not make it not to happen, they will not, it will not say that to you. Do not let this happen. He's saying that to you because you, brother, has a choice. You can choose to allow it to happen or you can choose to say it's not going to happen. God forbid. God forbid. Somebody comes and says, you know what? I want to rape your daughter. Why is that there? Are you going to let that happen? 
Really? Wait, 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 wait. You will not let that happen? You are sure? Why will you not let it happen? He just wants to rape her, that's all. Oh. You're very, did you see how quickly you determined te- that that will not happen? That's what God wants you to do when it comes to sin. And wickedness. And evil living. You have a choice. You can say, it will not happen. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God paid a price for this body. Therefore, I will use this body to only what? Serve God. You have a choice. But we've been passing the buck and just passing the buck and kicking the can down the road like the Washington people. No. No. You have a choice to make in the matter. Do not let sin reign in your mother body. And when we talk about sin, it's not just the big sins. That's, that's not even what we're talking about in relationships. We're talking about the anger, the impatience, the unkindness, the lack of gentility. All of them are sin. All of them are sin. So you have a choice. The next time you have a, an opportunity to be kind so, to somebody, you can make a choice to be kind or to be unkind. It's your choice. It's your choice. But I'm telling you today that you have no reason. God has empowered you to make the right choices because you are powerful. You have power. You have power. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do in your life. One last scripture. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. In verse 6 and 7. Genesis chapter 4. This is God speaking to Cain. Cain, you know what he did. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Next verse. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at your door. And its desire is for you. Look at that last sentence. But you should rule over it. Whose choice is it? And this is Cain. This is Cain back in the Old Testament that was not filled with the Spirit of God. And yet God said to him, you rule over it. Do we have any more excuses? Or should we just humble ourselves and say, God, help us. Help us. Acknowledge the power that is given us. And let's begin to consciously make the right choices. Now, there, 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 there are reasons for which we make wrong, wrong choices. I can't get, see, this, this, that's the reason you need to be here. You can't get it to you in all one session. I'm sorry. This is not an ATM machine. Instant. Put in the car. It's not possible. It's not possible. ATM has limit. Ah, thank you very much. So you have to come back. So fast to say, God is looking for fruit. And that food is love. And that love has different aspects. Joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. Yeah. It'd be amazing to you some of the things you're going to learn in this whole process. Amen? Amen? Go home today knowing that you have a choice and you have power. So the next time your flesh tells you to do this and do this, tell your flesh, I have a choice. I have a choice. 
And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the spirit of grace. The spirit that you've given us, that's empowered us 